Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. What's up, everybody, and welcome to What's in Your Glass. I'm your host, Carmelo Anthony. Before we get going, let's first welcome today's guest. He's a chairman and managing director of VC firm General Catalyst, former CEO and chairman of American Express, a leading voice in business who's been named to numerous lists, including Fortune magazines, World's 50 Greatest Leaders, and Time 100 Most Influential People of 2021 uh, for his corporate and social activism. But we'll get to we'll get to all of that. And then, you know, right now, please welcome to the show the one and only Ken Chanel. Ken, welcome. Great to be here, Carmelo. Uh, welcome, man. This 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 is gonna be a good one. This is this is one that I was actually looking forward to on today's show. Um let's 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 just you don't have anything in your glass, first of all. Let me just let me ask you that. I do, I do. I have uh Castestinal uh Bordeaux, nineteen ninety-four. That's what's in my glass. Okay, you went you 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 went big you went big boy today. Yeah, huh? absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. For you, I had to go big. Uh, I, I, you know what? I appreciate that. And you went Bordeaux too, so that's that's a good thing. That's a great thing, actually. Let's just jump right into it, though, Ken. Um, I, I always take I always take uh, my my guests back to the beginning uh, of when everything started off. You you originally grew up in Long Island. Um, Always just, I got to ask, like, what, what was your upbringing like growing up in New York? I know what my upbringing was like growing up in Red Hook in Brooklyn. Um, but what, what, was, what was your, like, what was your upbringing like growing up in New York, in Long Island? So, Carmelo, I, um, I grew up, uh, as you said, in Hempstead, Long Island. Hempstead is right in the middle of the fish of the island. And, you know, it's a lower middle class to poor neighborhood, a lot of working class people. And when I grew up, it was probably 65% black and the remainder white. My father actually was a dentist. He had a practice, um, mostly black, but some whites went to him. Uh, And, you know, growing up in Hempstead, one of the things that was important was the time that I grew up. And I grew up in the 60s, late 50s and 60s, which was right in the midst of the civil rights structure. And then the Black Power Movement. And civil rights was really important. Voting rights was really important. Uh, And, but, you know, growing up as a kid, I like playing basketball, baseball, football, 
Um, I had friends from all over the island, all over Hempstead. We actually went into Brooklyn a few times to play basketball. Uh, and, um, you know, it was a place where I really learned from both my parents and the community the challenges of being black in America. Did you have a, because you, you said you grew up playing basketball and then all these other sports. Did you have an NBA team? Oh, yeah, it was the New York Knicks. <laughs> okay, so let me, let me ask you something. So it was the New York Knicks. Being from Long Island, Hempstead, you have the Nets in Brooklyn now. Right. What, what, is the love, what is the love connection right there? You know, one of the things that I was fortunate uh, is uh, one of my good friends from when I was 10 years old uh, was Julius Irving, Dr. J. So, of course, when he went to the Nets, uh, I became a rapid Nets fan. Uh, and, and I'll tell you one other thing is while I was a big Nick fan, uh, one of the players that I buy a lot of players in the NBA, uh, but Bill Russell was someone that I identified with because as a young kid and a teenager, he was one of the black athletes that was really speaking out for social justice. And so I admired him uh, tremendously, but my team, it was a it wasn't it, <laughs> of course. But you had to you had to go with 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 Dr. J. I mean, that's 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 a no brainer. You, you guys grew you know you 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 grew up with you grew up with the doc. You know you 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 knew him. You know him. So it's only right that you go with with the guy that you know and familiar. He was the man. so. Let me let me let me ask you something about Doc. Did you did did you know he'd be the play he ended up be, he would end up being back then? Honestly, no. But I'll, I'll say several things about Julius is if he was a terrific athlete, but he was really known growing up as a brainiac. Uh, he was someone who uh, was just really smart. Uh, and, and so folks thought Julius could do just about anything that he wanted to do. But the change you saw with Julius was not just his height, but the fact that his junior year of high school was when Julius really broke out. And so we knew he was going to play college, but I just didn't think about Julius that he was going to be in the NBA. Uh, but, and, and he was a late bloomer. Um, you know, Melo, you were... You were known since you were 10 or 11 years old uh, that you were going to be a great basketball player. And Julius was one where he went to UMass and his freshman year, the rest is history. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, 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 it's astonishing to hear stories coming from people who was actually there at the time of, of you know, someone like you know, Dr. J growing up and seeing it, seeing him transition and, 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 and actually transform into the player and the legend that, that, that he is today. Somebody who was there at the very beginning, who, 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 who followed that journey and followed everything that he was a part of. And, and to see him at the beginning and to see him now, uh, I'm, I'm sure that had to just make you, you know, make you proud and, 
And also, he's from Long Island, too. Oh, he he was so, he grew up in Hempstead. And, absolutely. And then, so you, you, didn't, you didn't have no choice. That's right. He, he grew up in Hempstead. <laughs> and then when he was in high school, his family moved to Roosevelt, which was right next door to Hempstead. But, uh, you know, when we played together, uh, the Salvation Army had a basketball team. Uh, we played on that together, baseball team. And... Um, you know, as I said, he was he was a tremendous athlete, uh, but Julius was also someone that uh, you knew was going to go places. Uh, he clearly was going to go places. He just had he just had that aura. He had that aura. He had that swag. He had the the the, the, the mental aspect of, of it all too. And like you said, he was a very he was a very smart right. human being. Right. So and and I say the, the other thing is Julius never forgot where he came from. And so it was when he was part of the Nets, that did so much for our community because he was from us and he never forgot and gave back a lot to the Hempstead community. That's what you have to do. I mean, that's why Dr. J is who he is today. I mean, he, he would never change, you know, who, who he is as a man. That would, that would never change. He will, he's still going to always be that cool, fly Dr. J that, 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 that we always know. And then, he, you know, always, to me, he always had swear. Absolutely. I mean, you don't get that. You don't, you don't get a name like Dr. J for no reason. I, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so move, move, moving on to you know, something else. Um, career-wise, right, you, you, you eventually went to study at, uh, at, um, at Belden right. um, College. And, and then, you, then you got your, I would say your, your JD from, from, you got it from Harvard? Yes. Oh, I want to get that correct. So you got it from Harvard. You got your, got your JD from Harvard. Um, Going to school, did you, know, did you know what you wanted to do eventually? You know, one of the things I particularly tell young people is, you know, there's some people who know exactly what they want to do, who they want to be in life. That was not me. You know, if you'd asked me when I was really young, I would have told you I want to I wanna be in the NBA. Uh, I want to play basketball. If you'd asked me when I was in high school, I would have told you I want to be a civil rights leader. Uh, I want to really make a difference for my people. And when I was in law school, I thought I'd be a civil rights lawyer. And I did not really know business. Yeah, I wasn't exposed to it. And if you think about large, big corporations, that was totally foreign to me. Uh, and I didn't see anybody who looked like me. And it was not until maybe my last year in law school that I started to think that the next civil rights battle was economic and getting into business. And so I would say it was really not until I was in my mid-20s that I even conceived that business was something that I should get involved in. And one of the things I often say is what I've tried to do is bring that activist mentality to being in business. And I really do think that still we have a lot more to do to bring about real economic opportunity for all people. And that, that, that's, that's well said. How, how, did, how did your 
How would you say your, your education uh, kind of shaped eventual, you know, e- eventual your career arc? How, how would you say it shaped that? Yeah, so one, one thing I think that was important when I was in college, I majored in history. I took every conceivable history course, and I also minored in economics. And, you know, both of those disciplines, one, history really gives you context for what's happening. It gives you examples. It gives you role models. And economics, at the end of the day, that's the language of business. And what you also understand is how economics can drive social change, how economics affects everything. And then when I went to law school, one of the things that I learned in law school, aside from being a lawyer, is the ability to learn very quickly a range of different subjects and spot what would be common themes, how to synthesize vast amount of information and come out with a coherent argument to support your case. And so from a business standpoint, I think it really helped me be an even more disciplined thinker. So when you say, when you say a thinker, right, and, you, know, it, it, you know, a more sharper thinker, you know, somebody who sees the whole picture and, and, and is able to, you know, I would say dissect whatever that picture is. What aspect of that do you do you think made you be able to made you to be able to be that thinker, right? At the end of the day, because we can we can do we can have economics, we could have, you know, social activism, we can we can do all of that stuff, but it's something that clicks right. and we feel it at the end of the day that make us think on a on a on a granular scale. What was was it one thing that made you think differently or think bigger or think, you know, just as a whole? What was that? Yeah, I would say Uh, It wasn't one thing. I would say it was a variety of things that that helped me. I think one is I learned that you've got to look at a range of facts. You've got to study what are different impacts, what are both intended consequences and unintended consequences. I think to me, the best business people and the best leaders are people that can not only come up with an idea, but in fact can motivate people to to also think creatively and then to galvanize people to take action. And so I really believe that, you know, I was a student of history. I studied different leaders. I obviously followed different people in business to see what made them successful. But I think what's also helped me is I've always been a person that you do want to challenge the status quo, challenge conventional thinking. And that to me is what creativity is about. Uh, And and I think that was a combination of my personal development, my personal life experiences, as well as my academic and work experience. 
So after after a few stops, right? You 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 end up uh, working at you know American Express in, in 1981, and then you know you have uh, just just this meteoric rise from from there. I would say, uh, eventually becoming a president and, and COO in '97, and then CEO in in '01. A person you held until uh, a position you held until your, your retirement from the position in 2018. Just given you know, given the, the audience some some backdrop. Um, how how did you how did you go from starting your career there to running the company? Because that's something that is 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 very hard to do, and then you don't you don't hear that you don't hear that often. But also as a black man. You don't you don't hear that as a as a black man being able to start in a, start in your career at the company to running the company. You know, one of the things, Mel, I've just learned in my life is life is not always a straight path. And as I said, I didn't I wasn't planning to get into business when I first went to American Express. I thought that it would be a really good place to get some skills and experience. In, in business. And I did not think that I'd be at a large company for long. I thought maybe I'd start my own business at some point. And I'm going to date myself, but in 1981, one of the major technologies was cable. And I wanted to learn about the cable industry and American Express had entered into a joint venture with Warner Cable. And the head of the division that housed the card business, the traveler's check business, and the travel businesses was a person by the name of Lou Gerstner, who later on became the head of IBM and gets a lot of credit for turning around IBM in the 90s. And I was very fortunate that he was looking for a few people in the strategic planning group. and so. I went there, and I, as I said, I really thought I'd just be there for a few years. And I was in the planning group. I worked on a range of strategic pro- projects for the company, and I worked closely with Lou, and that gave me a lot of exposure to people. And I was offered, after a year and a half, a, a promotion to go into the main business of the company, which is the card business. And I turned it down because I thought that the management team at the time was too rigid and I didn't think they would change enough. And I ended up going to a business that was losing money that I thought could be a really interesting opportunity to try to turn it around. And that's part of what I think is important in your career is to have the willingness to take some risks, take on challenges that other people would say, well, I don't, I want to be careful. I don't want to take that risk. And one of the things that I really feel as a minority, as a black person, at the end of the day, if you do something or don't do something, you're going to be noticed. So you're better off doing something of your choosing and see what you can do. And I would tell you that that move into that unprofitable business was instrumental in my career because we turned it around. And that put me on the trajectory to really move through the company. But at each time, you know, very frankly, my first 
few years, my attitude was there's no way a black person is going to ascend to become CEO of American Express. And I didn't give it a lot of thought. So were you so were you not to cut you off, but were you were you were you were you putting the lid on how far you can go? Were you putting the ceiling on how far you can go yeah. before before you even before anything? Yeah, you know, the thing, and I'm sure you found this in your career, if you think narrowly, you're not gonna really succeed if you limit yourself. You gotta open up the aperture. And so what opened it up for me frankly, were a few people in the company um, who were Lou Gerstner, Jim Robinson, who at that time was the CEO, who said, we think one day you could run this company. Now, remember, this was the mid-80s, and there, there weren't people who looked like us in that position. So I think at the end of the day, I was very fortunate that I initially had a job that gave me a lot of exposure in the company, that I took on some of the difficult challenges that other people shied away from, and that fortunately I had a few people who wanted me to be successful. There were other people who clearly did not want me to be successful. And that's, I think, we all need to recognize there are people out there who really are jealous or prejudiced. And having some mentors, having some people who really have your back, as you know, makes all the difference in your career. Absolutely. It, it, it makes things a lot easier when, when you have that in your corner. Speaking of, of, of just your run and just your leadership, uh, and like you said, we, we're talking about the mid-80s at, at, at this point. How would you describe your leadership style? So it's interesting, you know, one of the things that I believe, and I'll sort of give you a quote, as I said, I'm a history buff, that I took from Napoleon. I paraphrase the quote to make it a little bit more simple, and that is that the role of a leader is to define reality and give hope. Absolutely. And so one of the things that I believe as a leader, what is very important to gain the trust of people is that you got to have integrity. And integrity to me simply defined, it's not just being honest, it's the consistency of words and actions. Because that really tells someone that they can trust me. And so integrity is first and foremost. Second, in my style is I think you have to be both compassionate and decisive. And I would say people get those two things confused. Yeah, I would say, yeah, I would say somebody would get those, you know, misconstrued or confused. You got it. You got it, Mel. Some people would say, well, if you're compassionate, you're a softie. You're not strong. Well, at the end of the day, if you're a leader, you want to capture people's hearts and minds. So, yes, I do want to be empathetic. I want to be compassionate. But also, you need to be decisive. And so being compassionate doesn't mean you go along. Being compassionate doesn't mean you're weak. Being decisive doesn't mean you don't care about people. But you have to have the willingness to take tough actions. But what I've always tried to do is to give people context 
to explain the rationale for the action, but not to shy away from taking the tough action. So I think part of what you got to do as a leader that I say to people, you're managing seeming contradictions because people will say, well, you either got to be tough and you can't, in fact, be compassionate. That's not real leadership to me. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I like to transition into your work in our community, in the black community, uh, specifically with, with, with 110, which, which is, I believe, is legendary. Uh, for, for any listeners who, who don't know, um, can, can, you sh- can you share a bit about just the coalition and, 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 and his goals? Well, right after the murder of George Floyd, Ken Frazier, uh, who's also African-American, is a good friend. I've known him for over 30 years. We were searching for what could be done to make a difference. And one of the things we said is we'd like to put together an initiative that really was focused on jobs. And we wanted to hit the most victimized segment of the population, which is black Americans who do not have a college degree. They're the ones who have real difficulty getting jobs. And if they have a job, is it really in a family sustaining job? And as you know, there's nothing as impactful on a community than having people in family-sustaining jobs. But the reality is close to 80% of the jobs, $60,000 and above, require a four-year college degree. And the point is, a lot of those jobs, it's not necessary to have a four-year college degree. Now, let me be clear. We want as many people to go to college who want to go to college. But we also don't want to say, if you don't go to college, you can't have a decent job and a family-sustaining job. So what we said is, that's the population we want to focus on. And what we said is, we don't want people making a six-month commitment or a year commitment of companies that would say, okay, I'll get involved in your initiative and here's some money. What we said We want to get some of the largest companies. So we now have 60 of the Fortune 100 that have committed financially for 10 years. So they've 
given money to get the organization up and running, and they've committed to jobs, creating real jobs with real targets and real outcomes. And I think what's important about 110 is while our target is a million jobs for Black Americans in 10 years, if we do this right, I think it can be a multiple. And I think what's also important is we're changing the specifications and the requirements because we're saying focus on a skills first approach rather than credentials. And, you know, we don't say, look, to play in the NBA, you got to have a four year college degree. What we're saying, you got to have the skills. That's what we're saying in the workforce. Do you have the skills? And we're going to train you, we're going to develop. So we're very focused on what I think will be a major transformation. And the other point is that as we change the specifications for jobs that do not require a college degree, while this effort is focused on Black Americans, the benefit will be for all Americans. Because we're not just changing the job requirements for Black people. The job requirements are going to be changed for everybody. So when, 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 if, if I'm, if I'm I, I mean, obviously I know about it. Um, so I'm trying to get my listeners and the, the, the people that's out there who, who's tapping into this. How can, where can they learn more and how can, how can they get involved? All they have to do is just, you can Google 110. Um, uh, we've got uh, a website. We've got a staff. They'd be more than happy to help you. And one of the things I'm so glad you're raising this is we're about to uh, launch a marketing campaign because we have the jobs. What we need is we need the people and we need the people to understand this is not a gimmick. This is real. Um, we very much want to have folks focused and it's just very, very important. And we, we are getting the word out Anything you can do, Mello, to spread the word about that. But we need people to sign up and participate, and we're there to help you. Absolutely, I would. I would definitely, definitely do my do do my job uh, in, in, in support of that. Um, and, and, and even after this, we'll we'll start. We'll be talking about it. I'll, I'll you know I'll get on my social and talk about it. Get with my team and just see how we can make a bigger a bigger impact when it when it comes to that. That would be fantastic. Um, Absolutely, you have you have my word on that. As 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 we mentioned at, at the top, you uh, Kenneth Fraser and uh, well, you, you guys were honored on the time 100 most influential people list for your work with 110, and and, and just for the you know the corporate and social activism, uh, specifically for mobilizing hundreds of corporate leaders to, to advocate for voting rights in the U.S. So again, cheers! I want to just cheers to that for sure. Is is there? Is there anything uh, you, you would like to impart just on, on, our, on our listeners um, and, and, and myself uh, on the importance of just continuing to advocate for equal voting rights and the threats being faced by kind of just many of us today in our country? Well, I'm so glad you had brought this up. And what I would say, but I appreciate all that you've done uh, in trying to get people to understand the importance of voting and the right to vote. But I will tell you that I'm very concerned what is happening in this country, that there is a very deliberate, intentional effort to make it very difficult for people to vote and particularly for blacks to vote. 
The other concern is, and you're seeing it, is there are some people who would like to take away the Democratic right to vote, but also like to overturn or change the election if they don't like it. And I think what is very important is we need to focus people on exercising the right to vote. And in some states, as we know, it's become more challenging. But what we can't do is we need to understand that those who went before us, for blacks to vote, many people died for that right to vote. And we can't be complacent because literally we could wake up four years from now and just see a major, major change. And we'll wonder, well, what happened? We can't be asleep. We got to take the initiative to fight against those forces that want to deny us to have the right to vote. But when we have the right to vote, at the end of the day, we got to vote. Absolutely. We got to execute that. We got to execute. To me, that's, that's, I think you just hit the nail on the head. That's beautifully said. I, I think we, we hear about how the importance of, 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 of voting rights, you know, we, we, we hear about the history of, of what our people fought for when it came to, when it comes to voting rights. Uh, and, and sometimes we, we don't execute that. We don't, we don't apply that to, to what we need to apply that to and to make, and to make critical changes. So, you know, hopefully, you know, we can, you know, myself, yourself, just every, everything that we have going on, continue to keep that dialogue going and informing the people out there of how important it is, you know, when, when you have the right to go out there and vote and make change. But, but, but before we wrap it up, I, want, I just wanted to briefly discuss uh, mentorship with you. Uh, you, you you're, you're, you're obviously probably just one of the best of, you know, examples of leadership in this world. But who, who are some of your mentors, like throughout your journey that, that, that have helped you along the way? So I would first start with my, with my parents. And um, both my mother and my father were instrumental in my development, um, you know, both of them felt obstacles are to be overcome. Um, you know, I learned from both of them having respect for people. And then, like a lot of people, I had teachers and coaches who really had an important impact on my life. And then there are people that I've always admired. I would say one of the individuals that I really admire the most and had the opportunity to meet him twice was Nelson Mandela. Uh, and, and he's one of my heroes. Um, but in business, uh, Lou Gerstner, Jim Robinson, Harvey Golub, Sandy Weil, and Vernon Jordan, who passed away last year. Vernon was on the, the uh, American Express board. And I'll never forget when I was named CEO, Vernon, the board sat at a round table and I was brought in and told I was going to be CEO. And Vernon passed a note, folded up to different board members. And then it finally got to me and I opened the note and he said, if I was in church, I would say hallelujah. And I'd probably scare these folks. Um, and, and he gave me really terrific mentorship and guidance. And one of the things that I did 
Mello is throughout my career, I really sought out black people in business. Reg- Reginald Lewis, you know, from yes. Baltimore. Baltimore, uh, absolutely. He was someone that I went to for advice and counsel. Uh, he was incredibly helpful. And the other thing I would say about mentorship, it's not just about famous people or hierarchy. To be a good mentor, you need judgment. And judgment comes from a lot of different people. And one of the things that I found were some of my best mentors. Some of them didn't go to college, but they had a lot of common sense. They had street smarts. I learned a lot from them, both in the company and outside the company. And one of the things that I also have learned about mentorship, it is a reciprocal relationship. If I'm going to mentor you, I want you also to do things that I can be proud of. Absolutely. And then also I can learn and, from and too. I can learn from you. You're absolutely, <laughs> you're absolutely right. So I always tell people mentorship is not a one-way relationship. It's a two-way relationship. So it's, I mean, it's, and obviously it's safe to say that mentorship is definitely important, um, especially for, I mean, younger generations, but also older generations too. I mean, we, we all need, we all need mentors in, in, in some aspect of, of, of life. So for me, I'm, I'm very big on that. And I, I love to hear that, you know, the fact that you, you sit and talk about just kind of your mentorships and then that, that story of when you became CEO and in the boardroom and passing around the, the, the note and, and the, the hallelujahs. Like these are things that I, I think we need to bump up a notch. I think mentorship needs to bump up a notch. I think we need to put a little bit more emphasis on mentoring, especially our youth. And it's not just sitting and, you know, telling them what to do, That's but just right. advising them and, and, and being, sometimes we just got to listen. Being a mentor is just about listening sometimes too, because the, the, these generations or these kids or whoever, they may feel like they don't have a voice. They don't have a sounding board. So sometimes we just have to be that sounding board as a, as, as a mentor. Absolutely um, agree with you. What else could you share with, with, with us just about some of your focuses, you know, for the upcoming year, both at, 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 at GC General Catalyst and, and, and just otherwise? So one of the things I would say to you is um, I got involved with General Catalyst because at the end of the day, technology is a great enabler in the world. That's the reality. And General Catalyst is very focused on technology investments in all areas. And I wanted to work with people who were starting companies uh, and who were passionate about what they were doing, but also had a mission. And and the mission of General Catalyst is we want to invest in powerful, positive change that will endure. And so our view is that companies can have a positive impact on society and also generate terrific financial returns. It's not an either or. And I also feel very strongly that the representation of Blacks in technology is poor. We have very low representation in the technology sector overall and in venture capital. It's even smaller. That's right. We are minuscule. And, And so I really believe that part of what I want to do 
is help increase the representation, raise the awareness, but what we can't just be are consumers of technology. We, in fact, have to be drivers of technology. And the talent is there. I really believe it. The talent is there, but I think that, to me, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I'm motivated. I like working with young people who want to make things happen. Uh, I'm seeing Blacks starting to, to move in some very positive ways. But as I said, we got a long way to go. But at the end of the day, it's a long journey. And uh, I want to do as much as I can in this next chapter of my life to make a difference there. Absolutely. And I, I, I you know, we, we, we could wrap it up. Uh, but I just wanted to tell you and just say to you, uh, I've, I've always admired, admired you from, a, from afar and just understanding your business and understanding what you was doing and understanding what was at stake at American Express during your, during your tenure there and understanding how hard it was at times for you being a black man in that position, um, you know, to, 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 to be a colored man and running you know, American Express. I, I, I don't think people really like grasp how important that is for, you know, as, as, a, as a mentor, as somebody that we can look up to and say, I want to be, I want to be Ken. I want to run, you know, I want to be CEO of, 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 of Amex one day. I want to be CEO of this company. Not being afraid because of the color of their skin, but who they are as a person, like you said, their integrity. So, I just want to take my hat off to you for that. Um, like I said, I've, I've always admired you from afar, been a big fan of yours, always heard so many great things about you. Um, we have mutual people, we have mutual friends that, 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 that we both know. Um, but, but with that said, man, I just, want to, I just want to say thank you for, for, for joining me today um, and, and, and just best of luck with, with, with everything that you have going on right now. But I do have one question. This is just a, a side one, question. One thing and then I'll take the question, Carmelo. Absolutely, absolutely. Because I followed you uh, for a long time. And um, uh, I remember vividly being in the stands in New Orleans in the Final Four. Uh, and uh, you've just been incredible. But the thing that I took note of with you is you are an intellectually curious person. Uh, you're a learner. And I will tell you, the best leaders are learners. Uh, and I just want folks to know that you could you can just rest on your laurels. You're not doing it. Uh, you're someone who's constantly evolving, and you are an incredible role model. I appreciate that. That means a lot coming from you, Ken, for sure. I just have one question before I let you go. Sure. When you became, when, you, when they bought, I'm just going to, you know, kind of, I'm trying to visualize this, this moment. When they brought you into the boardroom with all the board members and to announce you being the CEO, for one, what was that feeling? And for two, how did you celebrate? What did you, what did you drink? What did you have in your glass? Was, was it a big body Bordeaux? Was it champagne? What, what was it? So um, I knew before I was, went into the boardroom that that was probably the reason why they were asking me to come in. But 
I felt a sense of pride. And I think what's probably natural is I thought back to my parents. Uh, fortunately, my mother was still alive. Uh, my father had passed away. Uh, and I thought about them. And, you know, I, I really said to myself, and I, and I really do believe this, that I stand on the shoulders of those who went before me. Um, but I was elated. I was really happy. And I had a really good friend, uh, a brother who um, we had a small dinner that night. And um, he brought a uh, bottle of Gaia. And uh, uh, we had we had a terrific, terrific time. And then, you know, I think what was important, obviously, was to be with my family, to be with my friends, but also to really resolve that I understood that I had a dual responsibility. One is I had to perform. Uh, I wanted American Express to do incredibly well, but I also wanted to have an impact on opening up opportunities for other people who look like me. And um, that's something that I still am trying to do, but I'm not sure it was the same as when you won the championship final four, but it was sort of my time to say, I feel I'm here. Uh, yeah, Absolutely. I'm here. <laughs> I made it. I'm here. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Chen, thank you so much for joining me today, man. It's, it's been a pleasure again. It's been an honor. Uh, hopefully one day we can we we get it we get go grab a bite to eat or something and we we'll open up some a Gaia or, or something like that a nice a nice Bordeaux or something I would like I would love to do that <laughs> right. absolutely Ken I, I appreciate you so much brother thank you thank you. Mm-hmm.